Last week on Leviticus, um, which I've been profiting from this time through the book, it's, sometimes it's nice to take a bigger picture view of it. And this is the big picture where we see the Leviticus is divided into two parts, um, each part ending with a major uh, ho- holiday, shall we say. Um, it's a little bit hard to say how what do you call the year of Jubilee a holiday? It's a whole year holiday, I guess. Holiday. <laughs> uh, so the first first half, how Israel is to approach God, dealt pretty heavily with the sacrifices and, and what the priests are to do, although we did have some section on the worshipers, they have to be clean. And that section finally ended with the Day of Atonement. The the uh, the most holy day of the year, called Yom Kippur. Uh, in which the high priest would go into the most holy place and and uh, sprinkle the blood before the uh, mercy seat. What what did we find was unusual when we studied that um, that observance? Something the high priest did that we were a little bit surprised about. He you know, he didn't wear his priestly garments or his high priestly garments. Right. Just the regular yeah, he just he was to wear just the regular white linen garments that the, that the ordinary priest would wear. Um, then the second half is the holiness of the people of God. And we, we're about halfway into that section. That section is going to end with the, the year of Jubilee. We'll be talking about that uh, this morning. Um, so we, we've been looking at a number of commandments that... Um, were given for these people to be holy. Not all of these commandments are are moral things. Can you someone give me an example of, of one of these commandments that was it had to do with cleanliness, but it wasn't holiness. I mean it wasn't wasn't moral holiness, I should say. You're talking about the lepers and the cleansing of the Yeah, the le- le- if a person gets leprosy he, he has to stay outside the camp and uh, there are certain um, sacrifices he has to offer if he uh, once he if if he's ever cleansed of his leprosy. And one thing we noticed about that that particular sacrifice and ceremony when the leper was cleansed was had some resemblance to what other occasion? The institution of the high priest. Yes, yeah, I wasn't thinking of that, but you're right that the um, because of the thumb and the the ear and the big toe, it, it looked like the anointing of a priest. For seven days, he wouldn't have his tent. Which again, the, pre, the priest had the seven days. Yes, that's good. Now there, and there's another, there's another thing it's related to. And the other thing was the Day of Atonement. What, what was there about the, um, the ceremony for the leper that was similar to the Day of Atonement? They had two birds, and the one bird was let out, and the other bird was released. Yeah, one bird was killed as a sacrifice, and the other was released. And what is that similar to with the Day of Atonement? The scapegoat. Yeah, they had two goats, and they put a they cast lots as to which one would be sacrificed and which one would be let go in the wilderness. So, um, I, and I th- I think those resemblances were deliberate. I think God wanted us to connect. Um, 
cleansing from leprosy with the uh, with appointing a priest and with the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more even about the Day of Atonement today. Um, let's see. Um, we got through chapter 19 last time. 19 being a sort of a miscellaneous chapter of a number of different commandments. Um, chapter 20, um, I, you may not have noticed this, because I certainly wouldn't have if it hadn't been pointed out to me, but we have a first in the whole book of Leviticus in chapter 20, and and although it's a first, we also have a second and a third, the same thing. <laughs> Any ideas what that's about? You'll be surprised. It's in verse 4, the end of verse 4. No, actually, no. No. Yeah, verse 2, sorry. Verse 2, yeah. It's the first time we have. These are good guess, guesses, and you may be right. What? Put into death, period. This is the first, first time in the book of Leviticus where the death penalty is mentioned. Now, we've had death before in the book. Uh, Nadab and Abihu died, but there was no command to put them to death. God did it Himself. Here we have the death penalty. And... A number of times in this chapter we have the death penalty. That's why I was saying we have the first, second, third. Um, the first one, as, as a couple of folks mentioned, was the penalty for someone doing what for Molech? Offering their children. Yeah. And of course, if you offer your children to Molech, what happens to the children? Yeah, that, they were burned, burned up. So that that merited the death penalty. And the death penalty was inflicted in, in what way? Stoning. By stoning, yeah. Um, let me just mention something about this matter of stoning. Um, it appears to me that stoning was a penalty which was especially appropriate when the, when the, the um, sin was against the whole congregation because the whole congregation would be the people who would be putting the man to death. Now, not every, not every crime that merited the death penalty was, was punished with stoning. Um, does anyone know how murder was punished? Yeah, the nearest relative to the guy that got murdered his job was to avenge the the murder, and so he went out and he put the guy. He would he caught the murderer and killed him. That was the way it was dealt with. Um, now, by the end of the Old Testament, I'm pretty sure that had changed. It certainly was not the case in the New Testament. Um, that they they got a centralized government, and it appears that by the end of the of that time. Uh, the government was the one that was dealing out the punishment for murder, um, which I think would work a lot better because you can imagine what might happen when you have private people taking vengeance themselves. 
um, you could start you could easily start getting feuds where <laughs> the other family decides that that wasn't justified and so now they've got a murder they have to deal with it just well we don't read about the Bible but you can certainly imagine it happening and I imagine and I really imagine that it did happen um, there's several of the death penalties I think even in this chapter that it doesn't say how they're to be put to death um, or who is to do it The, uh, for example, in verse 10, uh, adultery. Um, and I mentioned before, adultery was, was specifically a wrong against the man whose wife was being uh, used. In verse 10, it says there, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, um, then both of them are to be put to death. Uh, it doesn't say who does the putting to death. And I, and, and I don't really know. And then there's others that um, do not appear to me to be a crime against any specific person, but they also end up with death. For example, um, uh, in verse 13, of a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman is talking about homosexual acts. Um, that's not a crime against any specific person. But both of those people are to be put to death. It's a, it's, it's a sin against God. And a number in that same category, including bestiality. Um, and, but they, not everything in this chapter merits a death penalty. Some of them it says they shall be cut off from among their people, um, which I, I assume that means uh, something like excommunication. Um, The principles in this chapter, in fact, in this whole section, are kind of summarized in verse 26. You are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. The, the purpose of the nation of Israel was to show forth the holiness of God to the nations. And when they lived, when they behaved like the nations were behaving, they weren't doing that, and, and God insisted that they would be punished. Yeah, John. I'm thinking uh, one of the principles here we've, we've seen over and over again with these uh, uh, sexual sins that relates directly to the giving of the children to Moloch, and that uh, the children are to be a blessing, and God has provided one way for, uh, for us to have children. It's a, a single relationship between the, the man and the woman. That's the purpose of the sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. so, a lot of things. Yeah, there's certainly yeah, a lot of not all of them, of course, because the last one was a verse 27, a man or a woman who has a medium or a spirit as it should be put to death, and again it mentions stoning in that particular case. Um, then, in the, in the next couple chapters, we we'll come back to the priesthood again about how they are to be holy, and um, again some of these things are not things that are moral matters. They're, they're ceremonial. For example, um, the, uh, the first thing talked about in chapter 21 has to do with, uh, dead, uh, with, the, with a person becoming unclean by touching a dead body. When would a person typically become unclean like that? Well, when a family member has died. Yeah, 
Yeah, you got a family member that dies, you you got to deal with the body. They, they would wash the body, they would they would get it, they would wrap it up in the grave clothes, and they would carry it off to the to the um, uh, burial place, cave, something like that. And the whole thing, of course, you're touching a dead body, you are defiled. You you cannot go into the tabernacle until you uh, uh, you have been made clean. And so, what was the rule for a priest, an ordinary priest, with regard to this? Yeah, only if it was in his immediate family. And then what was the rule about the high priest? Not even then. Um, he's going to have to let someone else deal with it. He, he, he has the anointing oil on his head and he is not to defile himself um, for anyone. Even It says even his father or his mother. Um a few other things they mention, like in verse 5, they shall not make any boldness in their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts in their flesh. I assume these were practices that, uh, that were common in the, among the people at that time, but the priests weren't to, to do that. Um, there were also rules about the marriage. Uh, who, who could a priest marry? Yeah, he could marry a virgin, or um, yes, but the high priest only a virgin. Yes, um, and then at the end of the chapter, it talks about priests that have defects, and what could a priest with a defect not do? He couldn't go in the tabernacle, but he could do something else, and that was. Yeah, he could eat of the holy food that was reserved for priests and for priest families. But he, because of the defect, he wasn't allowed to go in the tabernacle. The same, I, th- I assume it's the same principle that said that if an animal had a defect, you couldn't offer it as a burnt offering to God. Um, chapter 24 continues some of the same rules. And in fact, in verse, starting verse 17, he talks about how the animals have to be perfect. Um, various other laws like that. Um, that takes us up to the holy seasons in the next two chapters, 23 and 24. And when they list the festivals, these seasons, which one do they start with? The Sabbath day. <laughs> which I wouldn't have thought of that if I was going to list the, the seasons. I, you know, I'd start with you know once a year type things, but no. It, the Sabbath is kind of the foundation of all of these uh, holy festivals, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a chart on the board to illustrate that in a little, little bit. Uh, what were they to do on the Sabbath? Yeah, they, they weren't to work, and they were to have a holy convocation, which I assume when they were in the wilderness, that would take place at the tabernacle. Um, later on, when they were all over the you know, living in their tribal areas, they couldn't possibly go to the tabernacle every Sabbath day, so they would have had it in their own towns and villages. Um, and then we start the calendar and with the annual things. What's the first one on the in the annual calendar? Yeah, it's the Passover, commemorating what? Leaving Egypt, yes, when the Lord passed over their houses and didn't kill the firstborn. And then immediately after the Passover is a 
feast lasting for how long? Seven days. days. Called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in fact, it was so strict that not only were they not to eat unleavened bread, but what else? Couldn't even have their houses. houses. That's right. Um, I don't think it mentions it here, but it does in other places. Um, Then it... um, It covers a very small feast, um, which I think, I believe this feast would be called the waving of the sheaf. Um, it takes place the day after the Sabbath, which would be sometime during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it marked the beginning of what? Well, well, yeah, they didn't do this festival till they entered the land, but it wasn't commemorated entering the land. It marks the beginning of something. The The beginning of the harvest. They were not allowed to eat any of the harvest of that year until after that sheaf had been offered to God in the tabernacle. It was a small small festival, but the fact that it took place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread meant that everybody was going to be there anyway because they all had to go to the the tabernacle or to the temple for that for that major feast. Um, then from Is that he's the, the waving of the sheaf. It may have other other names too. Um, but um, and then from that from that Sabbath just before they wave the sheaf, they're to count how many Sabbaths? Seven, seven Sabbaths. And then the day after the seventh Sabbath is what? The, that's what we call Pentecost. It's all. It has a bunch of names. Um, it, I think it's sometimes called the Feast of the Harvest, um, and that marks what? The end of the harvest. The end of the harvest. Yes. Now this was the the grain harvest in the spring. For for Mainers, it'd be winter. In fact, <laughs> when that happens, but it, it that's when they would plant their uh, they would they would harvest their grain crops. Um, wheat and barley, and they would end just before the Pentecost. And Pentecost was a very joyful uh, celebration of um, you know thanksgiving to God for His bounty. And it's, if I'm not mistaken, it is the only one of the major feasts that included an offering that was commanded to include leaven. They, on that, for that feast, they actually offered leavened. Uh, bread. Um, now we are, we learned earlier that the grain offering, which was separate from this, the grain offering had to be without leaven. But this was a um, this would have either been a fellowship or a thank offering, which are much the same thing. Um, now those feasts I just mentioned, the, um, the Passover, the waving of the sheaf, and the Pentecost, all three were fulfilled. In this very same year, roughly uh, 30 A.D., Jesus was crucified at the Passover, and he was the Passover Lamb. He was raised from the dead, the first fruits from the dead. He was raised from the dead on the wave of the sheaf, the beginning of the harvest. And seven weeks later, on the first day of the week after the seventh Sabbath, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and. There was a huge harvest. 
of souls. All three of those feasts were pointing to that one, that one great uh, series of events. Um, then in in the fall, they had another uh, couple of major festivals. Uh, what month of the year was this big month? Seven. Yeah, interesting. The number seven comes up again. Seventh month. And what day of the month was the holiest of all? Tenth day of the month. The day of atonement. That was, and we talked about that last time with the high priest going into the uh, most holy place on that day. Um, that it was the strictest Sabbath of the whole year. No work at all. In fact, what what else did they have to do on that day and that day only? They had to fast for that 24 hours. It says, you shall afflict your souls. And then, a few days after that feast starts what I consider to be the most fun one of the whole calendar. And what one was that? The Feast of the Booze. Everyone gets to camp out for a week. <laughs> so again, a seven-day feast. And that celebrated what? Yeah, tra- traveling in the desert. So it was a commemoration of how God led them out of Egypt. Now, I, I want to look at... Um, these things from a little bit different angles. you want to mention the first day of the seventh month where they blew the trumpet? Yes, the, they, they did blow... The, yeah, the blowing of the trumpets on the first day, and that was also a day of rest. It, that was not one of the major ones. Uh, the, the three major ones were the ones where the all the Jewish males were required to come to the tabernacle, and those were Passover, Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement, which, of course... Um, the Passover would go into the, the unleavened bread, and the Day of Atonement would go into the Feast of Booths. Um, I want to look at number seven. There's a lot of sevens in the Book of Leviticus. Over sixty, over sixty mentions of uses of number seven in, in the book. Not quite seven. No, I, um, my Bible program counted at sixty-six, but I'm going conservative to just on, be on the safe side. Like the forty stripes save one, you know. Boy, <laughs> um, I read didn't come out very dark here. I hope you can read those headings. First of all, this number seven is connected with with rest and with a restoration. Um, you have the Sabbath day, seventh day of each week. You have a sabbatical year. Every seventh year, what were they not allowed to do? They weren't allowed to plant or harvest. And then after seven sabbatical years is the biggest one of all, the year of Jubilee. And what what special thing happened on the year of Jubilee in addition to not planting or harvesting? Well, if you were a slave, you would be particularly pleased as you were. Yeah. If you had been if you had been sold as a slave, you would you would go free on that year. What else? Get your yes, if you'd had to sell your property, you got your property back on that year. Of course, the fact they haven't every 50 years meant it might be your descendants that got your property instead of you. Um, John Tibbet was the one that pointed this out in the in a Wednesday night class. When did the Jubilee year start? No, well, you were right. I was the one that made it a problem. 
it, it started on the Day of Atonement. And I was thinking it started when they blew the trumpets at the beginning of the month, but now very clearly said it starts on the Day of Atonement. That, that's when everyone goes free. That's when all the property goes back. Now, I want you to think about that a little bit because the Day of Atonement represents Jesus' taking His blood into heaven as an offering for our sins. And now it's being connected with this year of Jubilee when slaves are freed and when people get their property back. And you see the connection. I mean, Jesus offered His blood in in heaven because we were all sold into the slavery of sin. And so we go free because of Jesus' atonement. Jesus is the one who brought in the year of Jubilee. That's why in in Luke, I think it's chapter 4, when he was reading the passage in Isaiah that mentioned the year of Jubilee, he says, today this passage is fulfilled. Because Jesus was here to bring in the great Jubilee of all history. But what does it mean about getting your property back? What, how does that connect with Jesus' sacrifice? When you get heaven. <laughs> Alright, well... That's the point. Earth was sold... When, we, when our ancestors went into sin, earth was sold too. And Jesus came so that the righteous will inherit the earth. They get, they get the land back. It's, it's a real jubilee. So here we have these sevens all connected with rest and with restoration. Um, sevens are also connected with forgiveness. Of a number of times in the book, blood was sprinkled seven times before the Lord. The high priest, of course, did it in, the, in front of the mercy seat. But the, the blood was also sprinkled seven times on the altar, burnt offering out, out in front. And then the Day of Atonement, it was in the seventh month. Again, connected with this seven. Uh, and as I said, it marked the beginning of the year of Jubilee. Then all three major feasts were all were connected with the number seven. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Booths both lasted seven days. And the day of Pentecost, of course, began on the day after the seventh Sabbath. And Pentecost was obviously designed to look like the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee comes after the seventh seven of, of sabbatical years. Um, and Pentecost came after the seventh seven of days, seventh Sabbath. And then finally, the, the number seven is connected with judgment, which we're going to get to that in, in just a few minutes, when God would punish them seven times more, he says. Number of times in chapter 25, you find that, that number seven. Where else in the Bible do we find a lot of sevens like this? Brent? Book of Revelation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name me some sevens in the book of Revelation. Seven churches, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, uh, seven seals. Yeah. And the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath are all three connected with judgment. Um, so um, it's, it's using the number the same way we find it used in, in the, the book of Leviticus. Now, you might look at this and you say, well, this contradicts all these others because 
up until we get to the judgment, the number seven is just a, it's a wonderful thing. It's rest. It's restoration. It, it's atonement for sins. But in the book of Revelation, you find, well, we, you start with the seven seals, and you find you have four horsemen of judgment for the first four seals, and then you find the, the souls of, of the, those that have been killed for their faith underneath the altar. And finally, the, the seventh one, it, well, the sixth, and, and then going into the seventh is a big earthquake, and it just it looks terrible. And you see the same thing with the bowls of wrath or, or with the trumpets. But, at least if we take the, the interpretation that I was following with the book, that in every case, that seventh one is the final judgment. Although it's grievous for those who are sinning, for those who were in the seven churches, in other words, for those who are part of the Lord's kingdom and are being faithful, that is a release for them. And, and what, I, what I see is one of the major points of the book of Revelation is to try to explain to Christians why they're still suffering even though their spiritual year of jubilee has come. And, and the book is showing that, that Christians have a part to play in the sufferings of Jesus, as Paul talked about. And that um, the things we go through in suffering are a part of the sacrifice of our high priest. And the, and the book is designed to show that um, this is only God's plan. It's, it's only for a very limited amount of time and it's going to end with the enemies of God's people being punished and God's people then being rewarded. All right, John. A number of, of passages in, in Leviticus, God just speaks to the people and reminds them he, he led them out of Egypt. Uh, but there's a lot of passages too where he reminds them he is the creator God. And of course, that, we think of that with the number seven. Yeah, the, the Sabbath going He's back to the creator God. He has the authority to judge. So. Yeah. Anything else before I switch charts again? We'll go back to our outline. <clears throat> Chapter 24. Um, we're still in the... The beginning part is still in the Holy Seasons, but in the right in the middle of the chapter, suddenly we have a story. <laughs> How many stories are there in the whole book? <laughs> Two. One, one story for each half of the book. <laughs> and what was the story in the first half of the book? Yeah, they, they took strange fire into the presence of God in the tabernacle and they got burned up. And what's this story in the second half of the book? Yes, this man who actually was not a full-blooded Israelite but if you're living in Israel, you're under the rules of Israel. He blasphemed God. Um, and they didn't know, they weren't sure what to do with him, so they put him in custody, and the Lord was the one that said what to do. What did he say to do? Stone him, yeah. So this is another example of, of the case where he has committed a crime against the whole congregation, and so the whole congregation is the one that, that inflicts the punishment, which was death. Yeah, John. Uh, I think it's tradition among the Jews that if, in these mixed marriages, if uh, if the mother was Jewish, the, 
the, uh, the offspring of the considered uh, Jews. Okay, um, I, I couldn't tell you, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but it, but seriously, it did not matter. I mean, this guy could have just—he could have moved in from another country. If he's in, the, if he's inside the camp, he's under those rules, and um, he's supposed. To, now, he—that doesn't mean he has to go to the tabernacle and do things like that. But he does—he does have to obey rules like not blaspheming. He's not allowed to bring in idolatry or, or, or you know, practice other things like that. Um, and so then the, the chapter chapter 24 finishes and in fact that's the finish of this section with um, the um, rules about eye for what, what we call eye for an eye um, if a man takes the life of any human being he shall surely be put to death and if he takes the life of an animal he has to make it good if he injures his neighbor whatever was done to him will be done back to him eye for an eye and and Jesus, of course, made that more famous for us because he quoted it in the in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he was quoting a um, a perversion of that law, uh, where people wanted to execute vengeance. That this this law was a law for the judges. It was not a law saying, you know, anybody that does anything to you. You go do it back to them. That's not what it's talking about. This is a matter of a, of a judgment, a legal thing. Um, you, that's the that's the punishment. And this, I don't think there would be anyone that would could say this is not fair. If someone deliberately pokes someone's eye out, it's only fair that that's what should be done to them. Even though when we think about it, we think, well, that's pretty <coughs> vicious. What he did was pretty vicious. Is simply, you know, simply back to him what what he did. Um, I mentioned the Wednesday night class a while back that it appears that uh, in 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 a number of cases the they would impose a fine on the person. Uh, he would pay a certain amount of money to the person whose eye he had poked out, and then he wouldn't have he wouldn't have to have his eye poked out. It was his choice whether he wanted to pay the money or, or lose his eye, but that that was offered uh, because there's a law somewhere, and I, we'll, I think we'll come to it. Because I'm pretty sure we haven't come to it yet. There's a law that says if if he's a murderer, you cannot accept a ransom for him. Uh, and the the strong implication was that there were other crimes uh, of lesser um, effect that you could accept a ransom. <clears throat> And chapter 25 then is um, this is the culmination of this section. We've already talked about this year of Jubilee. Um, so I can jump past that and we will um, go to the, um, the conclusion of the book before we get to the appendix. <laughs> the conclusion being... Um, if you do all these things, what will happen to you? Yeah, you'll you'll really be blessed, and it's a wonderful picture. The first part of the of the chapter, um, in verse four, I shall give you rains in their seasons, so the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, <laughs> which is, this is obviously an exaggeration because uh, just to try to make a point. 
Um, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. In other words, you've got such a huge amount of grapes it takes you, you know, six months to gather them all in. And you will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I will also grant peace in the land. Uh, and, and there won't be any harmful beasts, there won't be any sword, and they'll chase their enemies. Uh, five of you will chase a hundred, um, and they'll make them fruitful. He says in verse 10, you will eat the old supply and clear out the old because the new. So they had so much saved from the previous year. When it comes time for the new harvest, they've got to throw out part of their saved up food. They've got so much more to put in there. Kind of like the guy tearing down his barns to build bigger barns, I guess. But um, He says, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul will not reject you. And it's just wonderful. And then verse 14 starts with a special word. And what is that? But <laughs> it's just barely possible they might not obey these rules. <clears throat> now, he's not here talking about people who just make a mistake and, and inadvertently do these things. <clears throat> he's talking about people that just completely reject the, these commandments. And, and they, they're just determined to, to do other things, violate them. <clears throat> And interesting enough, the rest of the chapter is really a picture of the history that we're going to be reading as we continue on in our studies. Um, time and time again, the people just completely threw out the whole law of Moses and just did whatever they saw the people around them doing, even to the point of sacrificing their children to Molech. And basically, what does God say He's going to do if they do that? Yeah, yeah, he mentions it seven times, quite a few times, doesn't he? <coughs> Verse 18, I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Um, but before that, he talks about how the enemies will come and take their food away. Um, those who hate you will rule over you. And, and it just gradually gets worse until um, you're, you just wonder how anyone could even survive. It's, it's so bad. And eventually, he even talks about them getting carried captive into a foreign land, into the land of their enemies. Um, but he doesn't leave it there. In verse 40, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers, then he says he'll remember his covenant and he'll bring them back. And of course, that's the picture of the return from captivity uh, after the Babylonian captivity. And so he finishes this section in verse 46. These are the statutes and ordinances and laws which the Lord established between Himself and the sons of Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. And that, that ends the book proper as we've shown here. The next chapter is what we call an appendix. Um, and the reason it's separate is that it, it, it deals with something that's not a commandment. What's the chapter about? Vows. Yes. Vows are voluntary promises that you're not... You, there, there was no nothing in the law that says thou shalt take so many vows per year or so many vows per your lifetime even. You go through your whole lifetime and never take a vow and you were not violating any commandment. But it wasn't wrong to make a vow. It, it was voluntary. You could, you could do it or you could not do it. The only thing is if you do it, what? You better do it. <laughs> yeah. If you make the vow, you better do it. Um... And you know, I mean, we've all known of people that that have talk a good talk when they're scared, and then when things turn 
turn fine again, they completely forget all their, their fine promises. And we're going to see stories later on in, in, in the Old Testament where the people made promises and they, then when things started turning good, they, they left the promises behind. Um, but if you vow something, you may vow, you know, Lord, if you'll bring me back safely to my home, I will offer a bull on, on the altar for you. And that's fine. It's fine to do that. When you get home, you better go and... <laughs> now, we find this, we've already found this in the book of Genesis. When, when Jacob was leaving home, he stopped in Bethel and he got that vision of the, the ladder up to heaven. And, and then he made a promise to God, God, if you'll bring me back here again, I will give a tenth to you. And that was a vow. And, and he had to keep the vow. But in this chapter, it talks about things you vowed, and then perhaps you think, uh, I'm not really want to, I don't really want to give that up. And what provision was made for that situation? Yeah, and, and with certain things you could give money instead. With people you could give money, and it, and it specifically says how much. With a house, the priest would would value the house, and if you wanted to keep the house, they'd give it to God. You would pay that money plus how much more? Yeah, one fifth more. Um, there were some things you couldn't redeem, but but for the most part, you could um, you could pay money and and that would do instead of it. And, and God would consider that, that's fine. You made a vow, and the, the vow was worth X number of shekels of silver. You paid your shekel of silver. You kept your vow. This is fine. Um, and anyway, that, that's at the very end of the book as an appendix just because it didn't kind of fit anywhere else in the book. That, then, is the book of Leviticus. A book that takes its name from what? From the tribe of Levi, which was the tribe of the priests. Yes, now, not every not every Levite was a priest. You had to be a descendant of Aaron. But all the Levites were specially devoted to God in their service, and so that's the name. Now, the the, the Jews didn't call it the Book of Leviticus. The, the, the book the name comes when it was translated into Greek, as all of the names of our Old Testament books are, are from the Greek translation when it was translated. Um, Two or three hundred years before Jesus, it's called the Septuagint translation. Uh, the Hebrews, they named their books by the first word of the book, whatever the first word of the book was. That was that was the name of the book. Next week we start the book of Numbers, and um, I, I guess I better warn you: the first week is going to be a somewhat boring <laughs> reading. Read, but the book is not. It, the rest of the book is pretty interesting. Um, there's lots of stories in the book. Now there are quite a few laws too, um, but the beginning of the book, you'll know why it's called the Book of Numbers. <laughs> there's a lot of numbering being done, and and the book begins with numbering. It ends with numbering on both ends, sandwiched in. But a lot of stories and and things that we're all familiar with. There there's some really great stories in here. So um, we'll just have to kind of get through the next week, and then we'll. It'll be easy coasting. <laughs> All right, appreciate everyone's help this morning.